Tonight in your Bibles, congregation, we would invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 34. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9. In the Pew Bible, this is found on page 101. After we read that portion of the Word of God, we'll also be reading from Lord's Day 36. And in your Forms and Prayers book, you can find Lord's Day 36 on page 244. Uh, we're continuing uh, through the Heidelberg Catechism as it summarizes the teachings of the Bible. We're in the third section of the Catechism uh, that deals with the way in which we are to express or to show forth gratitude, thankfulness uh, to our God for delivering us from our sin and from our misery. And it's here in this third section that we find a detailed expounding of the Ten Commandments uh, because the Ten Commandments serve a threefold purpose. One of the primary purposes is it displays the way in which we are to say to God, thank you uh, for delivering us, for saving us, for redeeming us. And we've made our way through the first two commandments uh, that prevent all idolatry or that call us to serve, to worship, to honor, to love the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and also to worship Him according as He has revealed in the second commandment. We are not to fabricate idols we're not to rely on human innovation uh, when it comes to how we worship God. And tonight we come to the third commandment that deals with how we are to use the name of God. In connection with this, I've chosen to read uh, from Exodus 34, uh, verses 1 through 9. It reads as follows, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain." So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, Merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Thus far our reading for now from the Word of God. Lord's Day 36 begins by asking in question 99, what is God's will for us in the third commandment? And the answer that we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in everything we do and say. 
Question 100 then asks, is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent and forbid it? And the answer, yes, indeed. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheme His name. That is why He commanded it to be punished with death. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what a person says reveals much about who a person is. If you listen carefully to the content of one's words and, and even the tone of one's words, you get a little picture into the attitude of the speaker. Uh, boys and girls, to illustrate that, I suppose you know the difference if your mother calls for you and her voice maybe is sweet and she just uses your first name. She says, Billy, come in here once. Now that's different than if she speaks rather firmly, directly, and uses your full name. If she uses your full name, Billy Thomas, get in here. You know something about what your mother is feeling. And this is a biblical truth. Luke 6, verse 45 states, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is not only true in our everyday conversation, but it's also true in how we speak about God and how we speak to God in the use of His name. And that's why the third commandment comes to us, and it reminds us that we are not to use the name of God lightly. Boys and girls, that's what in vain means, to use it lightly, to use it without the proper appreciation for what it represents, to use it flippantly, to just let it roll off of our tongues without hardly a thought. The Lord says in His commandments, this is how you are to show that you are thankful to me for who I am and for what I have done. Use my name rightly. So this commandment deals with what we have in our theme, a proper speech of God. And a proper speech of God, we'll notice this evening, first of all, understands something of the significance of a name. And then we'll notice that a proper speech of God obeys the instruction of the law, and then a proper speech of God fears the threat of the command. So we have before us the third commandment, uh, which encourages us to a proper speech of God by understanding the significance of a name, by obeying the instruction of the law, and by fearing the threat of the command. So a proper speech of God understands the significance of the name of God because it is a significant revelation for a significant purpose. We, we know God only because He has revealed Himself to us. He has shown Himself to us. And the primary way in which God has shown Himself to us or has revealed to us who He is is by, through the Word of God, the giving that He Himself gives of names to Him. That's why I chose to read from Exodus 34. 
Uh, You'll notice verse 5, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is an act of divine self-revelation, and what a wonder it is that we who are mere human beings, yes, created in the image of God, but creatures of the dust, formed and fashioned by God, what a wonder it is that God would then come to us and show us Himself. But notice how He does this to Moses. He reveals, He proclaims the name of the Lord, and then verse 6, and the Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And it goes on throughout the seventh verse. This is the act of divine self-revelation. And behind us, of course, is the important doctrine of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. But the primary purpose of the Holy Scriptures and the revealing of the names is that God might show Himself to us, that we might then have a certain knowledge of Him. And you'll notice that in this self-revelation, there is a wonderful balance between the imminent condescension of God, but also at the same time of His transcendent justice. There's this wonderful balance, and the Lord, by giving Himself names, emphasizes His infinite majesty, but also the fact that He is a God who is near, who is close, who is interacting with Moses, and through Moses with the covenant people of Israel. This is emphasize, first of all, notice in verse 5, now the Lord descended. The Lord descended, came down. We need to begin with what many a theological professor has called theology from above. By emphasizing the majesty of God. Are you aware that God is high and lifted up, that His glory overflows the heavens and fills the earth? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name. The church in our age is plagued with the infectious disease of making God just our buddy, our co-pilot our sidekick, our companion, someone who just is there perhaps when we, when we need a little help, someone who we only pray to when we find ourselves beyond all hope. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a majestic God, an awe-inspiring God. But not just that, the God of the Bible, the real God, the true God, is a God who is transcendent, but also imminent, descended and stood with Him there. Do you you see grammatically the balance in verse 5? Now, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him, stood with Moses, coming close to Moses, dialoguing with Moses, speaking with Moses, revealing Himself to Moses. And also the attributes that then continue, mercy, grace, long-suffering, goodness, truth. And then the balance, yes, still the justice of God, 
by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And, and, and why does the Lord come and reveal His name to Moses to establish the covenant relationship? Verse 9 emphasizes this. There Moses, in response, says, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. And then he adds, and take us as your inheritance. This is the purpose that ties into the significance of a name. The establishment of the covenant of grace. And when we call upon the name of the Lord our God, is, is there something of an imitation of Moses? Lord, go among us. Be among us. As a congregation, with your grace and with your mercy, with your loving kindness. And you see, it's only when a person humbly recognizes or a congregation of people humbly recognize that they are what Moses rightly says, a stiff-necked people. It's only when we understand that we are those stiff-necked people, we are those stubborn, obstinate people who are in desperate need of God's grace and of God's mercy and of God's loving kindness. And when He comes down to us and when He reveals as He stands with us to the preaching of the gospel that He is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of loving kindness, then His name, His name ought to be dear to us. The Lord, the eternal, unchangeable, immutable God of heaven is my Redeemer, is my Savior. Well, once we begin to grasp something of that, then that will radiate out from our hearts with how we talk about our God and how we even talk about theology. Theology, the doctrine of God, should, should not be something that is just engaged in as some type of extracurricular activity. But every time we, we think about God, every time we, we speak about God, every time we read about God, every time we hear about God, there ought to be something of a, a profound sense of reverence and of awe. And this profound sense of reverence and awe especially is focused upon the person of our Lord Jesus Christ as the mediator of the covenant, the great I Am. And realizing that we have this covenant relationship that has been established by God's grace and mercy, and that the names of God reveal who He is and what He has done, then there is the motivation to obey the instruction of the law as we consider in our second point and I want to share what I think is a helpful quote that summarizes this second point. A proper speech of God obeys the instruction of the law. We quote from uh, a Dutch reformer with the last name of Vandergrew, God's people are to serve Him by having the deepest fear, reverence, and utmost esteem for His great and most holy name. 
God's people are to serve Him by having the deepest fear, reverence, and utmost esteem for His great and most holy name. Now, to flesh that out a little bit, you'll notice in the outline, uh, we first have the negative prohibition and then the positive prescription. In all of the commandments, there is a negative side and there is a positive side. Uh, there are certain actions that are forbidden, and then by contrast, there are certain actions uh, that, are, that are called for. And the negative prohibition is that we are to avoid all blasphemy, all blasphemous speech, all light and irrelevant irreverent, rather, uh, use of the name of God. Uh, Any empty, thoughtless, meaningless communication about God. Anytime we we sing the name of God or or pray the name of God uh, or or speak the name of God without having something of a a certain sense of the solemnity of the, the being about whom we are communicating. And now, if we're honest this is a great struggle for us. Think of how many times in our prayers and even in our theological conversations the name or a name of God becomes simply a filler word. This commandment says, pause. Don't let the name of God just become a filler word. But have something of a recognition of the solemnity, the majesty of the God of whom you speak and the God to whom you speak. Now this does not demand what can at times be an artificial adjustment in the tone of voice. I can remember growing up, you would hear people talk, and they would talk a certain way, and then they would begin to pray, and as kids we thought they had transformed into a different person. All of a sudden, the pace of their words was like an old record player that you could adjust, and it would slow way down. And even the words that would be chosen were words they never used in any other context. Words that we as kids had no idea what they even meant. And we sometimes wondered if those who used them understood what they meant. And at times there would be a certain rhythm within these prayers. And as kids we thought it was similar to a verbal roller coaster with the inflections of the voice going very, very, very high and then trailing down very, very, very low. Now, perhaps that was just a pattern that the individual had developed over the years. But that in and of itself is not what we are encouraging. Because that type of prayer can be just simply external formalism, a hollow ritualism. What we're speaking about is avoiding just a routine, just a going through the motions. And this is especially challenging for those who spend their lives, so to speak, leading in public worship, those who are engaged in the exercise of the offices in the church, those who are called upon uh, to pray and, and to speak 
with frequency about God and to God. Be careful that we don't fall into an empty, vain, trite use of the name of God. But also our catechism identifies certain particular sins. Cursing. Now, cursing is not the same as what sometimes is referred to as barnyard language, although we're not encouraging the use of barnyard language, especially in certain contexts. But, but cursing is invoking God's name to condemn someone or to condemn something. And sadly, in our ungodly society, you hear this over and over and over in phrases that we ought to shudder when we hear them. The misuse of God's name in some selfishly motivated condemnation of a circumstance or event or a place or a person. Another specific sin mentioned is that of perjury. And our next commandment, or the next Lord's Day, as it continues to deal with the third commandment, in the context of oaths, we'll deal more specifically with this. But if we are ever called upon uh, to give testimony, especially in a court, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Especially when we take an oath. Especially when we are in the presence of God in a unique way. Let us speak only that which is true. Any unnecessary oath, such as swearing by objects, swearing by by persons other than God, should have no place in the life of the Christian. We shouldn't have to back up our words by saying, well, I swear on the Bible, or I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear by this, or I swear by that. Our words should always be those which are true. And if we are called upon in a court of law to take an oath, then we take that oath when called upon, when demanded. But outside of that, we don't do this in some sort of triviality. Let's be very, very careful about the words that we speak, knowing that for every word we speak, which men often count just amusement and jest, we will have to give an account for why we spoke them, and for the truthfulness within and behind them. On the positive side, we are to speak about God. It's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, The Lord doesn't say, don't ever use my name. The name of the Lord isn't like some fine china that maybe our grandmothers had that sat on a a shelf behind a a glass door and and was never used, especially by children who would be prone to, to break or to chip such items. The Lord, as He establishes His covenant relationship, invites us to use His name, encourages us to use His name. He wants us to use His name. Just as uh, by faint illustration, just as a parent longs for the day, and maybe a grandparent also longs for the day when the child will will first say, Daddy or or Mama. So our Heavenly Father, He he delights when we use His name, when we use it properly. And, And so step back and think for a moment. When we sang, we trust with purity of heart, with our worship being sanctified by Jesus Christ. When we sang, O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name. Our God was pleased with what we did. Even though it was imperfect, 
It was the exercises of a covenant child. And using, once again, an anthropomorphism, uh, a human analogy, God smiled when He heard us use His name in song. So He wants us, He desires us to use His name, but He wants and desires us to use His name with the proper sense of respect and of love. And there are a few special occasions in which we are to use the name of the Lord when we confess Him, when we confess that we know who He is. Theological speculation is deadly. Do you know how many seminaries have gone into apostasy because of theological speculation? What do I mean by theological speculation? Well, a person saying, I've reasoned and I think perhaps this is true about God, and they've come to that basis completely apart from the clear revelation of the Word of God. And then they began to teach such things in the classroom study, usually underneath the umbrella of academic freedom. And perhaps there was a conservative board of directors, or perhaps synods looked into the teachings of various men in seminaries, but it was defended with, well, we have academic freedom to explore these theological speculations. When we speak about who our God is, let us make sure that we do so properly, truthfully, based upon the Word of God and the revelation that we find therein. Also, when we call upon God in private and in public prayer, there is to be the hard attitude of reverence that motivates us and guides us in our speech about God and to God. And then especially... We notice also that there is mention of praising Him in everything we do and say. The words that you speak, the words that I speak, do they praise God? Think of how many words you will speak in your lifetime. What tone comes out of your heart? Is it that of praise? That of joy and gladness in the Lord? That doesn't mean that every word we we speak is a, a psalm or even a hymn. Obviously, there's the practical interaction that we go through in our days. There's the buying, the selling, the trading. But in that area of conversation where we especially reveal the theology of our heart. When we speak about our God, is it with a note of praise that is perhaps even contagious to those around us? Congregation, let us use the name of God, but let us use it rightly. Because as we notice in our third point, there is a severe threat to this commandment. Now, I know that this is not popular to to preach about the threatenings within the commandments. And, and And I don't delight in preaching about the threatenings. I don't I don't find great satisfaction 
and just trying to thunder from a pulpit and, and try to intimidate and scare with the harsh judgment of God. I preach upon this because, if I can say it this way, I can't find any other way around it. I I hope and I pray that this pulpit in this church is always a pulpit that speaks captive to the Word of God. If God says it, may the pulpit say it. And if God doesn't say it, may the pulpit not say it. But this third commandment has a serious threat attached to it. And just to show that this is scriptural, uh, first of all, I would turn you back to this commandment as you have it there in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, to shed just a little bit more light on that, you can also turn, if you're so inclined, uh, to a cross-reference to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24, and I understand you could right away write this off. That's Old Testament dispensation, and we're not arguing that the specific judgment that was poured out upon this individual ought to be enacted in our day, but the principle stands. And there's a narrative here recorded in Leviticus 24, verse 10. Now, the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel, and this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. So at some point in their conflict, this man empty used the name of the Lord. Most likely probably in, in cursing his opponent. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shalomith, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take outside the camp him who has cursed. Then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Why such a severe punishment? Because the Lord is zealous for His name. And to misuse the name of the Lord is to attack the Lord. Well, is there a way to escape this threat? Because all of us have misused the name of the Lord our God to various degrees in a various number of ways. And and even in this pointed demonstration of how serious God takes this sin, there is a glimmer of the gospel. Did you listen carefully to what was to be done? 
the man was to be taken outside the camp. And hands were to be laid on him of those who had heard him curse. And he was to be put to death. Now, boys and girls, can you think of someone else in the Bible who was led outside the city? And he wasn't stoned, but he was also put to death. The Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the message of the gospel against the context of the threat of the command. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the transfer or by the imputation of our guilt. Because Jesus Christ never once misused the name of God. He kept His commandment perfectly. And he knows that we fall short. So without dulling the point of the arrow that perhaps brings us to conviction with how we use the name of the Lord, let us not be overcome with despair. As we reflect upon the proper use of God's name, let us also remember that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord in the exercise of repentance and faith will be saved. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the beautiful names with rich, deep significance that You have given to Yourself within our Bibles. Uh, We ask, Lord, that You would give us a right understanding of Your self-revelation and also an eagerness to study who You are. And out of love for You and out of reverence for You, uh, give us a, a certain carefulness with how we speak in our prayers, uh, in our songs, also in our daily conversation. May we use Your name rightly, understanding uh, that You are our covenant Lord God. Bless these words, and to that end we pray for Your name's sake. Amen.